Claire FM's Beyond Belief with Father Jerry Kenny. Very good evening to you and you're warmly welcome to Beyond Belief here on Claire FM for the next hour. Father Jerry Kenny here in the chair this evening and I do hope that you are warm and comfortable wherever you may be and if you're driving that you travel safely. Coming up on our programme, we'll be hearing from three young scientists from West Clare and their discovery around seaweed and a project that they presented for the Young Scientist exhibition in Dublin recently. And when you pray the Our Father, do you think about what you're actually praying about? While Pat Coyle will be chatting to Father Richard Leonard, who in a recent book talks about the Our Father and he chats about its use and enlightens us about the deeper meaning behind that prayer. I'll also be chatting with my colleague Stephen Fletcher in a few moments. And as we're almost on the eve of St. Valentine's Day, well, we're going to sprinkle the program with some romantic music. And I'm starting off with one of my favourites, it's a composition by Rogers and Hearts called My Funny Valentine. But I particularly like this version by Carly Simon. Happy Valentine's Day. you 
Well, it's time to join Stephen Fletcher, who is still in England, and uh, he's welcome to our programme this evening. Of course, Stephen, you're across the water still at the moment. Yeah, I'm shortly arriving back in Kilrush, uh, so uh, they better get the flags out for us. Great, OK. Well, a lot has been happening during the week. The people will be aware of the Pope's visit to South Sudan and your own Archbishop there, as well as the moderator of the Church of Scotland, I think, also visited Sudan and on the same visit. Yes, that's right. And please God, it will have some effect. Half the population in that country is Christian, and I hope that the two primates will have some effect on peace in that country, which has been ravaged by war for uh, so many years now, hasn't it? Yes. I was very impressed. I saw the interview that was done with uh, your Archbishop on the BBC over the weekend, where he was asked, well, you know, what is the point of all of these gestures, these dramatic gestures that you make on such visits? And he spoke very well on it. He said, well, the point of any dramatic gesture is to sort of try and kick open a door so that for further progress can be made. And I think that's the hope of what that visit will have done to ease the tensions and to trying and bring people to be able to work together and to live together in peace. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good analogy, you know, kicking open the door and letting the light in, the light of publicity, because, of course, there's been a lot of publicity around the world following this visit. So I think it's probably a good way to look at it. And please, God, it will uh, bring about some changes. And, of course, we've had the, the awful tragedy over the weekend, last weekend, of the earthquakes in, in Turkey and in Syria and the fallout from all of that and, and the number of people that have suffered grievously and have died as a result of that uh, terrible earthquake. Yeah, it's terrible to watch, isn't it? I've uh, been watching it on the television all week and to see the ruins, you know, the place is just reduced to rubble with people inside dying, you know, it's a terrible situation and sadly, you know, it's they talk about a 48-hour golden window and I'm afraid we're well beyond 48 hours now so it's more a recovery situation than a rescue situation, I fear. There'll always be be called on our, our own generosity and our humanity to support one another at a time when we actually have to have a global focus with all of uh, that is happening in our world, with the war in Ukraine, with tragedies like, like that in Turkey, and with uh, global problems happening. We have to have that sort of global vision of trying to bring some bit of healing and relief to those in need. Yeah, I was listening to RTE during the week and I hear that there's a lot of response from people in Ireland and certainly in England as well as people are gathering materials and blankets and uh, other warm articles of clothing that they're gathering to assist the people who are left there because, of course, apart from those who've been injured in the earthquake, of course, there's all the people who are now homeless and so uh, they're going to be sleeping rough and I didn't realise how how cold it was in Turkey at this time of year. You know, you see the snow on the streets there and it's uh, very, very cold. So, uh, yes, uh, it's heartening to see the response from Irish people and from uh, across the world, people are gathering materials for them. I see that in your own church this week uh, there has been talk about 
if you like, trying to revision or change the language in which we talk about God. And interesting enough, there's a connection between that and an item coming up later in our program where Richard Leonard, who's an Australian Jesuit, talks about and analyzes how we pray the Our Father. But can you fill us in a little bit more about what is happening in the Church of England? Yeah, this is a difficult one, isn't it, Jerry? I can understand both sides, really. But when you think of it, you know, traditionally, the teaching is of the Trinity, And that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to think of God as ungender specific, then what does that do to the Trinity? It's an interesting idea, and it really depends on how you think of God. How do you imagine God to be? Which is a very profound profound thing to think about. It is. And I think, you know, in all, across all churches, there is this focus on inclusive language. And I know our own lectionary, the book that contains the, the readings for our liturgies derived from the Bible, there is a revision going on on that to make it more inclusive. And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be easy to do a little change that is a little bit more inclusive instead of where you come across the word man and it really means all people. So you just put in the word all. So that can can be easy, but there's experts that are looking at, at revision, and there have been uh, more modern translations of the Bible and revisions of that in, in recent years that have brought about that more inclusive language in our reading of the Bible. It's an age-old problem, I suppose, where, you know, we receive something from tradition, but how do we bring it into the present century? And that's always a challenge. Yeah. It's an interesting one to ponder. And, of course, always the challenge is to express our faith in a modern way. And in our ministry, we're called to proclaim the gospel afresh for each new generation. Correct. I would agree with you on that point. Well, Stephen, in two days' time, we're going to have the celebration of Valentine's Day. So let me send my good wishes to yourself and to Francis. And uh, have you any major plans for this celebration? (laughs) This is where you put me on the spot, because I've only just realised that uh, it is only two days till Valentine's Day. So I I pretty quickly better get myself organised. And uh, yes, we'll we'll have something. be in Kilrush and uh, we'll enjoy the Valentine's Day there anyway, Jerry. But uh, thank you for the reminder. Good. Well, I always like to celebrate Valentine's Day simply because I think it's a day that reminds us of the people who love us. And right in, in your case, you're married to Francis. That's a special love. But all of, you know, the other loves that are in your life, your family, your friends. And, you know, that's the way I look at it. And I'm very grateful for all the people who are my friends and who who love me. And in turn, I I try to, to love them. So it's a celebration for them that I feel. So tonight I'm sprinkling the program with a little bit of sort of romantic music. And, you know, we'll come out of this. This is what this is. I, I've come across this song uh, only recently again, but it's a, an oldie from our time, Stephen. It's um, Paul McCartney and Wings and Silly Love Songs. So, I mean, because it's coming up to Valentine's Day, let's come out of our chat with Silly Love Songs. Thank you, Jerry. Bye.
You're tuned to Beyond Belief here on Claire FM on this Sunday, the 12th of February. Well, keeping in mind that we're approaching St. Valentine's Day, let's have another love song. And here is Love is the Sweetest Thing by Peter Skellern. Love is the sweetest thing What else on earth could ever bring Such happiness to everything as love's old story Love is the strangest thing No song of birds upon the wing Shall in our hearts more sweetly sing Than love's old story Whatever hearts may desire Whatever life may send this is a tale that never will tire This is a song without end Love is the greatest thing The oldest yet the latest thing I only hope that fate may bring Love story to you If you've ever taken a walk along the seashore of the Atlantic coast, you will see that often there is plenty of seaweed brought in by the tides. Seaweed has many beneficial uses, especially in the area of health. However, it could have other uses. And this week I spoke with three students of the secondary school at St. Joseph's Community College here in Kilkee about their project which they presented at the recent Young Scientist exhibition in Dublin. The project is entitled Kelpolium, Sugar Kelp Biofuel as an Alternative to Petroleum Fuel. The team that worked on this were made up of Eilish Marnan, Cara Killeen and Keane McInerney. 
and I chatted to them this week about their project and about their discovery. First, our teacher approached us, Miss Laura Egan, about the project, and we wanted we wanted to do the project and start in September, and we had a lot of work to do, and then we knew we had like a project book to do, which contained all the details about it, and we had um, we just saw that sugar kelp, which is type C, which is just abundance in Kilkee, and it'd be used as waste otherwise, um, so we just wanted to put it to use use as a natural resource, which could be used as a bio oil and we, sh- we wanted to show initiative and science teacher is very good to us and she sh- showed a lot of dedication and commitment to the project. So Keen, you know, you, you worked with this since September, Edith is saying. Um, so what, what was the journey like? What, what did you discover as you went through? Uh, yeah, we, we started in September and there was a lot of learning in it involved, um, you know, getting things wrong and we had to improve on that. And uh, we researched different types of seaweed, and we found out that we or we found out about sugar kelp and the fact that it grows um, locally. So we we decided to use that, um, and then we worked through our project book and our project diary, and there was a lot of work involved in that. And then we moved on to our display, which uh, got us a lot of uh, publicity in the end. So we were delighted with that, um, and then we. We went up to UL a few times to actually carry out our process to extract the bio oil and we ended up going up to Dublin then in the end. So the end result of this is that you have found something that actually could help to replace our use of petrol. That's right. So we found that the sugar kelp, that we're, what we're trying to do is extract a bio oil from our sugar kelp. And what we first turned it into a slurry and then you heat that to a really high temperature and pressure. And that then you extract a bio oil from that and that can possibly be used as an alternative to petrol and diesel. So hopefully be more environmentally friendly. That would be doing our bit for in the environment and um, like that. If it was very successful, we'd create employment in Kiki for ocean farming, um, for the seaweed. And there's m- more uses to it as well. So you wouldn't be able to just use it for diesel. There's other other layers that can be possibly used as uh, alternative sources of heat and electricity and um, as well you can turn it into briquettes um, our solid residue into briquettes to be burned into your fire as more envir- environmentally friendly form of heat as well and there, yeah, there's plenty of uses for it so hopefully you can carry it on the project to grow it more into that. And when you were at the exhibit itself up in Dublin was there a lot of interest in what you had done from the people that were there? Yeah, definitely. There was a lot of interest. Um, first of all, what caught their eye was we were in yellow dungarees and everyone was looking at us and it caught attention because um, it was related to our project and we were like fishermen gear. And then obviously our display award um, with the, all the art design and there was a lot of work and effort put into as well, which um, our art teacher helped us with. And then, of course, our display board, then our wooden piece where we put our display on, um, that took a lot of effort as work work as well. So just overall, it was a good display, um, and we presented it as well. And then you were featured on the Late Late Show. What was that like? Uh, it was brilliant, yeah. Uh, we got an awful shock when we were actually told that we'd be on it, but we were delighted. Um, and Ryan, Ryan Tubbley, he was brilliant as well. He, he spoke with us before the show, and he made sure that we were comfortable and everything like that. And everybody up there was really nice, so we were, we were delighted. 
Well, I think the people of West Clare were delighted as well to see you. And you were great ambassadors and well able to talk up on, on the Late Late Show itself. But, Carrie, you, you've talked about some of the future uses that it could be. So, I mean, the experiment really hasn't ended, has it? I mean, it's created an interest, I, I hear from you, about how you might take it further. Yeah, so for the for the BT, the, the BT young scientists, we only did it on a very small scale because like that we wouldn't have the resources available to us in the school. So we did it on a very small scale, but now we need to get into a lab to actually do it on a larger scale to test it in an engine and to actually get a higher yield so that we can do further tests on it and maybe look at different seaweeds as well and see would that change any other factors and but yeah there is great interest in it and um, we have a few contacts now that are really interested in it and would like to help us to bring it forward which would be mighty and the judges actually told us over the BT that they'd love us to come back again next year so that if we carried on the project we'd be able to go back to Dublin and compete again in the competition. And for yourselves I mean it sounds you know your enthusiasm for this is, is, is really catching and, and the way you present it on the late late as well you know sort of like you've been discovering a lot over the last few months so i suppose i'm just wondering from from uh, the perspective of the world we live in and uh, you know when you look at history a lot of what you're doing you know was done by people in the past in the sense of they discovered new things about things that were in their environment that they didn't know could be used in that way what has it said to you about the world and about you know what's all around us well, I think it's very important that we have to be able to put our talents, our creativity and our knowledge to good use to be able to be, make a better world and to keep improving things and like that, the, the creativity that we're given to to make a difference, I think is very important and to carry on what people have done before and make it better and keep improving and do our bit for the environment and to protect our planet. Yeah, it's just to make it more environmentally um, friendly, obviously, because we're, we're talking about global warming and talking about different climates are changing and everything so obviously we want to make it more environmentally friendly and even if, only if it's on a small scale it will still help in the long term. So you're continuing the work and it, you're, you're going to be discovering more hopefully. Yeah we do we, we really hope that we can uh, progress our project and bring it back up again to Dublin next year with uh, more discoveries made and hopefully uh, soon enough we can run, run our cars on I buy you a wild made from seaweed. Manufactured in Kiki. Manufactured in Kiki. Homegrown. <laughs> Keen McInerney, Elish Mernon and Cara Killeen, all students of St. Joseph's Community College in Kiki, chatting to me there about their project for the Young Scientist exhibition which was held last January. Their project, Calpolium Sugar Calp Biofuel as an alternative to petroleum fuel, won great attention at the exhibition where they were highly commended for their work and they received the Jack Riston Display Award at the exhibition. Well, it's only appropriate that we come out of that particular interview with some music that reflects their project. Here is The Waves of Kilkee.
The Our Father is a very familiar prayer, also known as the Lord's Prayer. Because of its familiarity, it can lose its impact. Father Richard Leonard, a Jesuit, describes the Lord's Prayer in his latest book, The Law of Love, as the 58 most powerful words in the world. We join him now in conversation with Pat Coyle of the Irish Jesuit Communications Office as he teases out the impact of the Lord's Prayer for us. You also speak about the Lord's Prayer, which reminds me of a Jesuit I know who at a board meeting was asked to say a prayer and he said, well, I'll say they are Father and the chair of the board says, oh, could you not do better than that? (laughs) I wish I'd heard that story. It might have got into the book. (laughs) I I like that. Um, That's the problem with the Lord's Prayer. It's so familiar that uh, sometimes we just rattle it off and we're not exactly sure what we're saying. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we are on very holy ground, not only because the Lord taught it to us, but also that what we're saying is really profound. One of the things I say in the book is that we have a few versions of the Lord's Prayer. We have three, Matthew, Luke and Mark, and they are significantly different. And uh, now we've gone from Matthew in um, Matthew's is the longest. Well, it didn't the longest. Luke's a bit longer. But Matthew is the one that we use now liturgical tradition. And the version we use, interestingly, in the Catholic Church has got to do with the Church of England. Thomas Cranmer was a very complex man, and I'm not going to canonise him, but he was an extraordinary gift in language. And he gave us the version, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's pretty well stayed current, so that that's come into our liturgy in English-speaking languages and through the Church of England. But there are some problems with it, but we'll come back to those in a minute. One of the things I say about it is that the version that we use actually is 58 words, 58 of the most powerful words in the world. And I point out in the book that um, brevity is something I think, including me in the series of of, uh, interviews, uh, that we could well emulate the Lord. He says, don't babble like the pagans do. I think in the Catholic Church, sometimes we do an awful lot of babbling. And we think if we throw more words at God, somehow God will hear us. I think God must sit there and say, can we stop having the performance and have an encounter? I don't need the show because I know what's going on in your heart and your head. So let's not have a show. Let's have an encounter of love. Whatever of that. Personally, I find the new missile so flowery in its language and so over the top when Jesus spoke so simply. And these uh, 58 words are so simple and so elegant. I give an example of how important brevity is that uh, we know about the Gettysburg Address, which isn't just about the United States of America. It is powerfully that. But of course, it's the first statement of a universal declaration of human rights, one of the first modern statements anyway. And this incredible moment, we know the person who spoke before Abraham Lincoln that day at Gettysburg spoke for an hour and 10 minutes. We know this person who spoke after spoke for an hour and 25. And I actually named them in the book. I did a bit of research on this. The Gettysburg Address is 272 words. He spoke for two and a half half minutes minutes, and... Honestly, he changed the world. Now, for every preacher and teacher who are listening right now, me included, brevity, the Lord spoke briefly, he spoke powerfully with passion, and he connected the gospel or his message to the real life of the people in front of him. Pope Francis has said just recently to priests, don't preach for too long. He said eight minutes is maximum, and I think he's on the money, and I think eight minutes is a interesting idea because 
One of the reasons we might have to speak for eight minutes is it's the time between ad breaks on television. So eight to ten minutes is roughly, then they give you a bit of a break. And that's true on radio too. They'd go to a station identification or something like that to keep the listener energised. And now you can resent that all you like, but you get up and preach for 20 or 25 minutes, people stop listening. You are not preaching to, well, unless it's a very unusual homily on it for a very unusual congregation, most people have given up. And once you start using language, like the new missile users, that most people haven't got a clue what it all means. Well, that's not helping direct and easy communication. The reason I say all of this is because the Lord's Prayer is so immediate. But what we're saying is immensely powerful. So I go through each of the phrases and talk about why calling God our Father. As much I'm happy to call God our Mother if people would like, but Jesus called him our Father, but it's our Abba. And I had the experience of just the other day, I was in New York, and I was waiting for a plane. And there was a Jewish family, clearly Jewish, and the little boy kept calling his father Abba, Abba. And I I have had not enough to do with the Jewish community that that was the first encounter I'd ever had of that. Now, that's the word Jesus used. It's Abba, it's Daddy, it's Papa. And that was such an intimate thing to do. So we say our father, and if you called your mother or father father, it's terribly formal. That doesn't indicate at all the intimacy uh, the level of love that Jesus is indicating. It's Papa who is in heaven. And heaven was a much more immediate concept in the Hebrew scriptures. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed meaning to holy is your name. And what does that mean? So I unpack each of them, but a couple of them are immensely powerful. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I like your story at the beginning about the, you know, could, could you not do better than that? Boy, we should think about that phrase. We're saying, forgive us to the degree we will forgive others. Not one bit more, not one bit less. Oh my God, that's a tough, that's a really big thing to say. Because, you know, we've talked about forgiveness, but and it is so important. But we've got to maintain as best we can that our forgiveness of one another is exactly what we're asking for God to do to us. The phrase, which of course is the most complex, um, well, for, oh, the other one I like is, give us this day our daily bread. And I tell the story, and I've told in a couple of my books about being on pilgrimage where I had to walk and beg for my food and accommodation every day and for 10 days. And I, I said that on that road, I prayed the Lord's Prayer in a way that I had never prayed it before. When you wake up in the morning hungry and you don't know where you are going to get food, give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm is not some sort of metaphor for the Eucharist, which sometimes people have made it and certainly works perfectly. Not only is it about it changes when you're hungry and you don't know where you're going to get fed, it's actually a call to how we're feeding the poor. So give us this day our daily bread. If we're getting fed, how are we helping other people get fed in the world? So it's got a social implication in this that is so important. But the one that, of course, has been the most controversial has been lead us not into temptation. Mm -hmm. Do not Um, put us to the test. Yes. There was a strong movement in the revision of the liturgy of the new missile to change that. And the English language bishops' conferences, Ireland, America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, they all chose not to change it. And I think it was a mistake because it is, in fact, a bad translation of the Greek. As good as Cranmer may have been, lead us not into temptation presumes that God could lead us into temptation. Well, we don't believe God can lead us to destruction. God can't lead us to sin. We choose to sin. We choose, like in the old 
language and the Genesis story, we rebel against God and go to our own destructiveness. So asking God to lead us not into temptation, presume God does and God can. So this has become very controversial. And in fact, the translation which uh, is uh, more common these days, or at least scholars think we should have, is do not let us fall into temptation. And I wish we would say that. Do not let us, because it's us falling into temptation, us giving into that temptation, because that's exactly what Jesus is attending to. You've got to see what he says before and after in Matthew's gospel to really see why that is the way it is. Do not let us fall into temptation would be the much better rendering of that. I have friends of mine who are lifelong Catholics and some have really struggled with that phrase because it's amazing. Words matter translation matters. God doesn't lead us into temptation. God helps us to have the inner reserve, the best virtue in our life, that we can choose what's most life-giving all the time. And then I don't do for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory only because they're a little doxology. They're a little prayer that got added on. And indeed, sometimes people say, oh, do you say the Protestant version Mm -hmm. or the Catholic version? Well, it is true that our Protestant brothers and sisters add in the doxology because it was liturgical. And it's an an ancient piece of the liturgy actually where it was followed and we do say it but we have what's called the deliverance prayer in between Mm. the doxology there isn't a catholic and a protestant version of the lord's prayer itself there are different translations and we should have the best one but i think we should think about every single phrase very very carefully and when we start any and every meeting you could not do better than start it with the lord's prayer But it's one thing to say it. Boy, if we know what we're praying, it's quite another to be living it. And that's the challenge. version there of the Our Father by Christopher Walker. And prior to that we heard Father Richard Leonard in conversation with Pat Coyle of the Irish Jesuit Communications Office about the Lord's Prayer itself. The Law of Love is a book published by Richard Leonard and is available from the Jesuit Communications Office or online or from any good bookshop. Is my heart so light? Why are the stars so bright? Why is the sky so blue since the hour I met you? Flowers are smiling bright, smiling for our delight, smiling so tender. 
all eternity. Sarah Petula Clark and Love, This Is My Song. You're tuned to Beyond Belief here on Claire FM on this Sunday, the 12th of February. And as we approach St. Valentine's Day, once again, we remind ourselves of the great gift of love that God has poured into all our hearts. And we listen now to Michael Ball singing Love Changes Everything from Aspects of Love by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Love changes everything Hands and faces Earth and sky Love Love changes everything How you live And how you die Love Can make the summer fly Or a night Seem like A lifetime Yes, love, love changes everything Now I tremble at your name Nothing in the world will ever be the same Love, love changes everything Days are longer, words mean Love, love changes everything Pain is deeper than before Love will turn your world around And that world will last forever Yes, 
with love Love changes everything Brings you glory Brings you shame Nothing in the world will ever be tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening, the 12th of February. And as we prepare to celebrate St. Valentine's Day next Tuesday, it's time now for a little reflection. And it's given to us this evening by Sister Anne Crowley of Kilkee. Bless all hearts, Lord. O Lord, on this feast of love, fill young hearts with wonder, old hearts with wisdom. Let big hearts know their wealth. Let happy hearts rejoice. Protect soft hearts from wounds. Welcome lost hearts home. Let loving hearts reach out. Let generous hearts share. Teach arrogant hearts humility, jealous hearts acceptance. Let fearful hearts learn trust, let empty hearts be filled. Inspire hardened hearts to soften, broken hearts to mend. Let bitter hearts let go, let betrayed hearts forgive. May passionate hearts inflame. Courageous hearts dare. Let warm hearts enkindle. Let loving hearts befriend. O Lord, on this feast of love, transform all hearts. Enlarge all hearts. Heal all hearts. Challenge all hearts. Unite all hearts in one communion. For all it's worth 
voice there of Daniel O'Donnell and I will pray for you. Sunday evening. Father Jerry Kenny here, thanking you for your company and thanking our guests who featured on the program this evening. To Eilish Marnan, Cara Killeen, Keen McInerney from St. Joseph's Secondary School in Kilkee for their insight into the project that they presented the Young Scientist Exhibition in Dublin recently. To Pat Coyle and Father Richard Leonard for his inspiring words about praying be our father and to my colleague Stephen Fletcher for our chat earlier and for producing tonight's programme here for us. Our programmes of Beyond Belief and Sunday Prayer are available for download as podcasts by going to the Clare FM website and accessing the catch-up facility. We'll be with you again next Sunday morning at around a quarter to eight for Sunday Prayer and later on again next Sunday night for another edition of Beyond Belief. Until then, we leave you with the strains of the beating number here, there and everywhere in an arrangement by Mike Leander and his orchestra. May God's blessing be with you in the week ahead. Slán agus Bannock.